0: Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios-McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Thank you for tuning in to Tuesdays with Andrea podcast. Today we are talking to Cassandra Ma. She is working to help vulnerable youth and she has an organization Reclaim 13 in which she's going to share some information. So welcome Cassandra.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and see you again.
0: Thank you. So tell me about your work. I, I've been reading up on it and my um, dad and mom, Jason and Delia uh, are two people that I greatly admire. I look up to them and they both are admirers of your work. And they recommended that I talk to you um, because they're like, you, you just have to, you have to know what she's doing. It's, it's too important. Um, And so I, I, I'm really happy to have this opportunity.
1: Thank you. That's very sweet. So, uh, Reclaim 13, we are actually celebrating our 10th year anniversary this year, this past, this January actually. Um, and we, our work really is with youth um, who have been sexually abused and exploited, or survivors who are victims of child sexual abuse and exploitation. And th- that includes trafficking.
0: And how did you get started in this work? What inspired the pathway to this?
1: So um, there's many different parts to that story I can tell you, but to to be um, kind of succinct, my background is as a clinical psychologist and a marriage and family therapist. The reason I went into that work originally was because of work that I was doing with children, youth who had been um, in our foster care system in New Jersey. And I worked in a a residential program with these kids, and I love these kids. Um, These kids have gone through everything bad that kids can go through. Their parents have been incarcerated, substance abuse, domestic violence. Um, They had gone through every form of abuse themselves, and they were now in our home, in our residential placement, to learn all the skills they needed to live independently and I, um, my role was to be a counselor to them, but I really didn't have any clinical background other than you know, a bachelor's degree in psychology. And so um, I really wasn't able to help them the way that I wanted to help them. So I decided I needed to go back to graduate school to become a clinical psychologist, which I did. Um, I furthered my studies in the area of marriage and family therapy because one of the things that I learned from working with these kids is that and this is this is pretty much true, which is that no matter how messed up one's family is, you know, we all tend to gravitate back to family. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I my my goal was to be able to work with families with young kids so that they could grow up in a healthier environment if they were going to go back to these families anyways, and my goal was to be able to help them grow up in the healthiest possible family. So I and that path ended up taking me to the family institute in Northwestern, where I worked for many years um, as a marriage and family therapist and work with kids and families and trauma. And I love that work. Um, I went to a fundraising dinner with my husband at one point for international justice mission, which is an organization that works with trafficking survivors, kids, um, identifies them overseas in developing countries. And the, at the, at the dinner, the, the, um, person told us about all these kids who were in Southeast Asia and Cambodia who were being trafficked, kids as young as five and six. Um, he told the story about these kids who, the, these two investigators went in and they pretended like they wanted to purchase children and they asked for, they said they wanted to they wanted to meet with young children. And so they, they brought out a 13 and a 14-year-old and they said, well, we really want younger kids. So they brought out a five and a six-year-old. Um, and I, I just just the whole story about that um, just broke my heart. And so I, I left that dinner um, and I went to work the next day, which is up in Evanston. And I remember looking at the clock and thinking it's 9am here. Um, I just heard about these kids who had gone through it just that are about to go through this night of hell in 9pm ni- in Southeast Asia. And um, I, I, everything that I was doing just didn't make sense at all. And so I learned that the kids that were the most vulnerable in our country are the kids who are running away from home. Um, and so I would ask all my friends, including our, my law enforcement friends, where are these kids in Chicago? I would drive up and down the streets of Chicago looking for these kids.
0: Um, and I remember, just driving, just
1: driving just drive my car, <laughs> looking, looking, <laughs> looking at all the places, the train stations, the bus stations, all the places where these kids were supposed to um, be running away to. And I never did find any kids doing that, but I also found out that that was actually not legal. <laughs> so you're not, <laughs> you're not supposed to harbor fugitives. And so, um, so I literally I had zero desire to start anything, but um, but I needed legitimacy so that I you know wasn't getting in trouble for doing what I wanted to do, which is to find these kids and give them safe shelter. I remember being in the um, home of my pastor at that point and his wife and. Um, learned that you need to have three people on a board. So he and his wife and uh, another friend of mine uh, formed uh, the board for what was compassionate communities for children. And um, that was 10 years ago. Um, And then about a year and a half into that, we we changed the name to Reclaim 13.
0: And so how did that meeting with your friends come about? Like, hey, here's this initiative. This is a need. And Do you want to join me?
1: (laughs) No. It was just really as simple as the the statistic that everybody was saying was that um, upon running away, two-thirds of kids running away can expect to be approached by traffickers within 48 to 72 hours of running away. So in my simple mind, I thought, well, God has a GPS coordinates on these kids. We can meet them before that 48 hours. We can, we, meaning the good people who care about these children can get them to safety. And then they don't, they won't ever have to go through what many of the kids go through. And so it was kind of as simple as that, honestly, just, you know, we just got to find these kids faster. So within 48 hours, that was that we were told, yeah, the traffickers will find these kids. And so
0: how do they find them?
1: Yeah. So unfortunately these, these people are very um, good. I do well, want to give them credit, but um, unscrupulous and finding kids who are vulnerable, you know, they, uh, at that point in time, we were thinking of the bus stations, the train stations. Now it's on the internet, finding kids who are vulnerable and looking for somebody who cares about them thinks they're, they're beautiful, you know, things that all all teenagers want to hear. Um, so now it's kind of shifted a little bit more online, but um There was there was a study once, and I talk about this oftentimes when I present that if all of us were to be given a picture of a crowd of children, all of us can spot the vulnerable ones. But it's so so we're all pretty good at this skill.
0: You mean all of us, like you as a professional?
1: No, you and me, any of us, any of us can look at a picture and kind of can can look at a scene and a playground and kind of kind of see who are the vulnerable kids. You know, the ones who are alone, the kids are kind of
0: looking down, down, (laughs)
1: quiet, shy. Yeah. Though all of us are good at that, it's what you do with that knowledge that differentiates those of us who are trying to help versus those of those people who want to prey upon them. It's it's taking that knowledge and using it for good or for evil, really. It's as kind of as simple as that. And so so I figure that we we should be able to do this and kind of to this day, it's, it it seems somewhat simple, but I, I realize it's not quite as simple as. There are good people in the world who care about children and if we can wrap our love around these kids especially the kids who are prepped from homes that are not um they're not getting the love that they need if we can all just kind of wrap around these kiddos then we can protect them in many ways and shore them up from these the tactics that predators use to kind of get into their lives
0: so how do we do that what do they need and that we can offer
1: yeah that's a great question so we talk about every Reclaim 13, Forever Community. And um, the idea behind Forever Community is, in fact, I just had a conversation with one of our girls about this today. Um, forever Community means that for the rest of your life, we are people who are invested in your success. We are invested in your life. We are invested in helping you do everything that God's planned for you and supporting you and loving you and being a lifeline for you. And so they know that they are a part of something that's a really a forever thing. We're not here just for the time, the duration of your being in a particular program that we have. You're, we're here for the long haul and we do have kids reach out to us. Even kids who have, we've had to, um, you know, let go from our program for whatever reason or not. Um, We have kids reaching out to us for help and we are always there for them in whatever way we can, whether it's a gift card for food or um, helping them to get to, uh, you know, a situation, a therapist or helping them with therapy or case management or whatever it is that that child needs or that young person needs or that adult needs to be able to get through life.
0: What, does, what role does Reclaim 13 play? Do you house children or do you find them and then home them or how do you support them especially? As- with the community with the larger community
1: yeah that's a great question so we when when i first again this was in 2012 when we started out and i was you know going up and down the streets of chicago looking for kids um the goal was really the goal that we the goal and what we were told was that the the biggest thing the biggest need in this whole problem is to be able to help house these kids help them to find a safe place away from people who are trying to hurt them and so that was Because that was the goal, at the pretty much from the beginning, we started doing all the things we needed to do to take the steps to be licensed through the Department of Children and Family Services to be able to get all the sort of accreditations in place so that we could eventually open the home. And about three and a half years into our start, we were able to raise the funds necessary to be able to open Cherish House, which is um, a safe house for children who have been trafficked between 10 and 17. And within the home, we have each kid has individual an individual therapist. We have group therapies. We have life skills trainings. We homeschool educate them within the home so they can graduate from high school. That's the goal. We have people mentors who come in and support them and love on them and play with them and take them out to do things. And um, again, just wrapping that community that I mentioned that community around them. In 2020, we then were able to open up Courage House, which is our next program for young people who are 18 to 25. Because after that that sort of safe cocoon in cherish house, they need to have that next step to help them launch into adulthood and learn all the skills that, you know, all of us need to learn as, as adults, the budgeting and, and holding on a job and um, all those different, you know, parts of being adult—they they need to have our support to be able to do. And so that's what we created in Courage House, and then we also have a mentor program that serves um, children or adults, all people who are survivors of child sexual abuse and exploitation, who are in the communities in and around the Chicagoland area.
0: How do you keep all of that running? And I'm, I'm, this takes mentors and volunteers, yeah. and and I'm thinking funding for the housing and the food. And the clothing. Uh, what are those specific needs that you have that people can can give? So, for example, the mentors. Can anyone be a mentor? Are there requirements? Is there like any type of background check? How do you prevent people who want to exploit children from coming in and <laughs> helping?
1: That is such a great question and a constant thing that we have to think about. Um, so our mentors, the people who actually work with our kids, we call them direct service volunteers. So our mentors and our crisis response team are teams that any volunteers can, or pe- volunteers can join. If you have to interview for them. Um, but then we do a series of background screenings on them to make sure that they're safe. Like you said, we, we want to protect our kids. And then we have a bunch of protocols to kind of in terms of how we interact with kids so that we can make sure that that our staff are protected, our volunteers are protected, but also our kids are protected. There's a lot going into that, but we really strongly believe that um, because I was a volunteer at one point, you know, I wanted to be, I just wanted to do anything, you know, as I told you, uh, with the driving up and down. So I would have really volunteered anywhere, anybody would have taken me, I would have volunteered because I just so badly wanted to do something to help. And so we believe very strongly in finding new ways to engage volunteers and people who want to get involved. And it. it it means it could, it might mean one of those things mentoring or a crisis response team. It could be um, being a part of our education team and writing. Um, it could be a, a, you know, we have a volunteers, we had a group of volunteers who came into one of our homes to help us with handy, handyman type work. Um, and that was a beautiful gift to us. And so there there's any myriad of ways that anybody can get involved with the work that we're doing.
0: And through the website, they can find you and reach you. And, and is this based downers grove as well?
1: Yeah, so Downers Grove was our original office and our P.O. box is there. Our office is in Lombard, but we're again, our homes are in different places. So we're all kind of all over the place.
0: You know, what's interesting is that I, I, I don't really think of like Lombard, Downers Grove and Lyle being yeah. places where there's huge amount of sexual trafficking or exploitation. Yeah. So can you talk about that? crisis that's happening on the home front and even in um affluent uh, you know s- suburban communities yep
1: yeah and so because the shift now is happening to the o- online predation so that children are much more vulnerable nowadays because of online means whether it's social media or TikTok or all these other sites that that are apps that kids go on and use to be able to meet people that really is a much more so what's what that's essentially done is that before where it was it was more kids who were living in poverty which is still a huge vulnerability factor but poverty and the and trafficking looked much more like kids walking up and down the streets or meeting up in hotels and things like that trafficking has become much more of a online vulnerability and and grooming And so um, because of that, most and any of our kids who have access to a phone, access to a computer um, are vulnerable to being able to meet the wrong people and connect with the wrong people. During COVID, there's been a lot more kids reaching out for help um, because and families reaching out for help because their kids are running away or because of and, and unfortunately, what you have with COVID is that you, before, particularly at the beginning, when we had people more locked in, um, you have a situation where the, the family situation is much more amplified. The dysfunction, If there's dysfunction, it's much heightened because the family's together, you know, we yeah. can't go to many places. And so it's causes children a great deal more stress and there's a great deal more running away. The problem is then that you, don't, the kids don't have as many safe places to run to, you know, before it might've been a friend from school that they kind of hang out with for a few days. And then maybe another friend and things like this, we call couch surfing, but now you have fewer families, um, families are more reluctant to have kids coming in and out of their houses because of COVID. And so you have a recipe for disaster because then the only places that these kids can go to when they need to leave their home or want to leave their homes is unsafe places or people that maybe they just met online. And they pretend to be a nice person. And it turns out that they don't have great intentions. And so um, it is a recipe for disaster in in many ways. And many more kids are more more vulnerable because of the situation that we have now in our world.
0: Is there any piece of information that you can offer for maybe um, a parent who wants to become more aware of this, or maybe a teenager or a child um, about ways that they are being vulnerable, ways that they, they fall into this trap. So you mentioned internet is a big one. Um, I'm thinking being isolated. Yes. And having shame. So is there like a common pathway or a common, I don't want to say stereotype because that's an, that's not the right word.
1: Um, I know what you're asking. Yeah. And the, the hard thing about this problem is that you have a, a point at which a, in a child's development, and let's just take girls, for example, because m- many of the victims that we work with are girls. You have a point at which a child, you know, teenagers are naturally insecure about their looks, about who they are there. That's kind of a natural sort of stage of development. They're trying to figure out who they are you pair that with, and so they, you know, they don't feel good about themselves. You pair that then with an adult male and in our culture, girls are so often taught that their bodies, their look, their physical appearance is what gets them value and gets them attention. You pair that then with somebody who comes along and tells her all the things that girls want to hear. You know, you're beautiful. You could be a model. Oh my gosh. You're so, whatever, all the different things that people might, men might say. And, You have then um, any any teenager really is vulnerable to that. And so it's the taking the next step of actually meeting with the person that I think is a point at which we can we can as parents, we can kind of be more aware of what's what is on our kids devices, who they're communicating with. And it, again, it's really hard. I, I say this as a parent with all the compassion in the world for parents because it is hard to monitor all these things. There's wow. tons of apps that that you can hide, and there's a, you know it's just a very difficult situation. So the best thing that we we have a, a video that we produce called the Path. It's on our website, or the trailers on our website, and you can you can get it. Um, from us. But that 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 video depicts the grooming process that we hope will help children to identify in themselves part of their story. So they can they can recognize that before things get too far.
0: Yeah, um, that the grooming process. That's the that's the word I was looking for. Uh, yes. Is it just is it just girls are boys acceptable to this as well? Absolutely.
1: Boys, yeah boys are very susceptible to this it looks different trafficking itself looks different but sexual abuse you know we hear all these stories in the media nowadays of of coaches and teachers and so boys are boys are also vulnerable to to predation
0: as well and how do you get these youth to open up to you and to trust you and to share their most shameful like terrifying moments yeah So
1: my, I'm on kind of a push this year um, of really helping kids to be able to feel safe to share this and not feel like it's their shame to bear. Because like you said, I think that's exactly what happens. Children bear the shame for what is really not theirs to bear. It is really the shame of the person who thought it was okay to do this to a child but because children bear, sort of hold on to that shame, they feel like they can't share that. So we're really, at Reclaim 13, we're really always trying to think of how we can make this more of a, a normative conversation that we can have with one another and we can share. We have a lot of survivors on staff, and so we really believe it's important to kind of put that out there and to be able to say, look, as examples, that you, this is something that you went through, but it does not have to define you. You can reclaim. We call them reclaimers. You can reclaim your life. Your identity is not in your victimization. Your your identity is in the the beautiful story that's going to come out of that. And we have so many stories of that um, to be able to tell. That that's kind of our goal that this year, so that so the kids can know that th- this is not the end of the story.
0: So, what are some of those critical like um, pieces of? reclaiming that for them? Is it education? Is it skills? Is it jobs? Is it uh, friends, a religion or faith?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because all those things they need, the skills, the training and all those things. But the biggest thing that kids need, if you think about it from the standpoint of a child, that when a child is victimized by an adult, what happens in the child's mind is that she or he starts to associate that relationship with what adulthood looks like. This is what adults are like. Adults are people who hurt you. Adults, Adult child relationships are ones that consist of scary moments of being hurt physically, emotionally, uh, being betrayed. All these different dynamics are what children become come to associate with adulthood and adult child relationships. And so, um, you know, I, I heard this said once in church that, you know, that God's plan is so that when brokenness comes through people, that healing also can come through people, you know, he could snap his finger and make everybody all better, you know, who's gone through some sort of childhood trauma, but he somehow leaves us into the picture, which is really a cool thing for us, you know, know. being that community to be able to be a part of somebody's healing story is, is such an awesome privilege and humbling privilege. But That is what we all get to do. We can be those adults who don't look the other way, who don't say, you know, when a child tells us the stories, many of our kids have have been told when they finally disclose this to family members, they're told that didn't happen, don't talk about it. All the things, like you said, that cause a child to feel further shame we can be a part of saying you know what that wasn't your shame to bear honey that was that was that that is a beautiful thing you survived and look how you retained the beauty of who you were created to be and look how this story is going to just like catapult you into the plan of god for you so that's kind of that message to me is the most powerful part of healing
0: and i love how you said we can be the adults that don't look away yeah we can be the adults that are part of their healing mm-hmm. because it's true. I mean, sometimes it's, it's very sad to think about all of the misfortune and all of the, the hurt and the pain that children do experience. Um, we as adults and people have the opportunity to change that and mm-hmm. to help that.
1: Yeah, it's true. One time we had a um, our development director. She's kind of our fundraiser she came over to the house and she just came to hang out with the girls and we had to have lunch with them. And, and they they're asking her what she does. And she told them and, and they, they were astonished that people actually wanted to give to support them and help their healing. And it was really like, it, it was kind of one of those surreal moments where you're sitting with these kids and they're like, really people want to do that. And they, these are people who've never met them. And so it was just such a mind-blowing experience, you know, like 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 an emoji, <laughs> just for these kids to see that there are people who actually love them, who don't ever, may, may never interact with them, but they care about them because they know that they exist in this world.
0: What are some of those tactics that sexual abusers, manipulators use to manipulate children?
1: Yeah. So, like you called it the grooming process, we call that the grooming process. And there are um, unfortunately is true with, with all the sexual violations for children that um, perpetrators more often than not know the child and vice versa. So it's someone known to the child, it's a it's a family member, it's a coach, it's a you know, someone in, in their a teacher, someone already in their life. Um And that person then basically uses that position of trust and authority to be able to cause this whole horrible relationship to turn in this way. Um, And so the grooming process involves building that relationship, whatever that may be based upon, um, and then building trust so that you can be alone with the child and then et cetera, et cetera. It kind of moves into those situations. So... What happens then in the child's mind is, is it's usually not threats that keep the child silent. It's usually the fact that the child gets manipulated into thinking that he or she should have known better or that this is a part of the relationship. And if I tell, this person's going to get in trouble. And remember that this person is a loved one to the, or someone that child cares about. So it's, 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 a, it's the worst, to me, it's a worst manipulation of a child's innocence and their beauty in, in what they sort of give to us as adults in their lives, which is just that, that sort of innocent, uh, trust that they
0: give to adults. How does this play out into their adulthood, um, uh, without Reclaim 13? So if Reclaim 13 was not in the picture, are there some common examples of this is what happens? Is it th- they, they, they they're they they troubled or they're scared, or maybe they don't ever grow into their full potential or they don't um, trust people. I can imagine that in your work, you're dealing with the worst behavioral symptoms because they've dealt with the worst to them. Yeah. So how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So we talk about the sexual violations as a particularly unique and horrible part of childhood trauma in that of all the childhood traumas, it is the one childhood trauma that is oftentimes experienced by the child alone. And what I mean by that is it's an interpersonal interpersonal violence, but it is also one where the child is left to contend with that, what, what just happened by herself or himself. So different from, for example, like a tornado coming through and you know, everybody can share like, oh my gosh, wasn't that scary when that happened? Or even with some other forms of abuse, usually that's happened in the, It happens in the home in general. So children can share that experience. With sexual abuse, oftentimes it's done alone. And so what it, what it does is it makes the child vulnerable to all sorts of lies. So lies like, you know, you caused this, um, it was your fault, you shouldn't have done X and so or whatever the lie may be. And that leaves a child much more vulnerable. We know that children who are sexually abused uh, are much more vulnerable to further sexual violations and and victimization. So it may be trafficking, it may be further sexual abuse, it may be exploitation, because they have become to, they've come to believe that that's sort of what adult child relationships look like. And so we know that they're much more vulnerable to further victimization. We also know that children, this child sexual abuse leads to a whole host of things, including intimate partner violence when one becomes an adult, so domestic violence in a relationship. Um, It also leads to what we call relational criminal involvement, which means that oftentimes, um, because of the, the abuse of the past, relationship choices might not be the healthiest. And then those relationship choices might, are ones in which many of the women who are incarcerated in jail, are there because of crimes they went along with? That's not to say that they're not responsible for their part, but they they went along with that with their partner, and so now they're they're where they're at. And so the relational criminal involvement is another potential bad outcome. Um, and then you have a you have a parent who, without any healing, has is leads from parenting from a traumatized place. And so then you have that whole cycle that's that they're vulnerable to kind of repeating with their own kids, not seeing the right signs to be able to protect my own child, things like that.
0: And what does sexual trafficking look like now? Is it I mean, is it getting kids in a car and then taking them to another state? I know I've heard um, people talk about Super Bowl weekend being one of the weekends in which it's one of the the highest volumes of trafficking going on in the country which boggled my mind i'm thinking what that that really does ha- it's it's a it's a real concern yeah um so can you talk a, a bit about the trafficking component and maybe what we should be aware of
1: yeah, it's it so it, it's an interesting thing. So the trafficking um, sex trafficking looks like um, again, the relationship starts usually with somebody that they know or they've reached out to, they built some level of relationship with. It's not like what we always try to distinguish. It's not like the taken movie, you know, where the, where there's a kidnapping off the street. And the, the what happens then psychologically is that if you think about it from the standpoint of like a kidnapping, When you have a child who's kidnapped off the streets, the child is able to create a psychological barrier between him or herself and the bad guy because they know that something bad—that person's just done something bad. Whereas, if the grooming process occurs the way it occurs here in the United States, which is much more relational grooming, you develop a relationship that is is hypothetically, you know, you believe is a trusted relationship, and then it turns into this other situation. It's very hard for children to recognize that person's a bad guy because they started out as a good guy. And so it's very insidious. It's very difficult to understand from the child's perspective. and it's also very difficult to break that relationship to help them, the child to see this as a dangerous relationship. So um, that's how it starts. But the, but the trafficking itself, the actual selling of children is now much more online. So there's all sorts of apps. There's ways that people can go on to different sites and to find kids that they want to purchase. They will pretty much invariably say things. They'll, they'll use words in the ads that tell people that this is probably a minor, but they won't say it that way. So what that words
0: would they use?
1: Like fresh, um, barely 18, barely adult, things like that. Or I'm, I'm 19. That's, you know, usually they're not. Um, things like that. But that. So, so people, predators who, who are looking for these kids will be able to find them from the internet. Um, and then they arrange times to meet them somewhere, usually in a hotel or somewhere.
0: And so talk about, okay, so you have Reclaim 13 and then you have Courage House. Mm-hmm. And is that the safe house is the Courage House?
1: Cherish House is our safe, house, is safe house. house. Courage House is the young adult
0: home. Okay, so three different uh entities here
1: it's one one organization but we just have different names for the different homes
0: and do you still find these kids or do does law enforcement recommend and have a referral process for you like what's that step let's say there's someone who's listening who needs a safe house and they feel like you're the place and they're watching this what do they do
1: yeah, so we have a hotline. That's a 24-hour hotline, and I can give you the number. But it's a hotline that operates um, on any any emergent basis. Any any help that somebody needs at any point in time, we can reach. They can reach us. Mm-hmm. Um, we also partner with law enforcement. They they do the the difficult work of finding the victims, and then they would contact us. And then if we have a, a ability to place them in one of our homes, we would do so. We oftentimes get referrals also from DCFS if they're children. Um, Another big referral source that we work with is uh, hospitals. So when they identify these kids in hospitals or, or victims in hospitals because of something that's just happened, then they would contact us and then again we try to place them in one of our homes or in one of our
0: programs. And I read that you had developed an exploitation prevention curriculum yeah. based upon the clinical experience and research to equip children and parents. Who is this, the curriculum for like, what groups would be wise to have this curriculum?
1: Yeah, we have a couple different, um, prevention initiatives. One of them is that video that I mentioned, which is the path. Along with the path comes a discussion guide that parents can go through with their children as young as 10. We have a a version that's for as young as 10 because we wanna try to prevent this. Um, We also have a a curriculum that goes into schools to talk with children as young as kindergarten all the way through high school. And the goal there is to prevent sexual abuse also. So prevention of sexual abuse. And then later on, we start talking about what exploitation and trafficking looks like with our um, middle school and high school kids. And you can find all these resources on our website as well.
0: To anyone else who's listening, what is the main takeaway that you want them to know from about Reclaim 13 or the work that you're doing?
1: So I think two things. I would say that these ch- children who are vulnerable to abuse and exploitation exist in all of our communities. It does not matter how beautiful your community is. If they exist in all of our communities. And so the thing that you can do, the first thing that you can do is to have your eyes wide open to the fact that these are kids within your midst, because when your eyes are open for the signs, or even the sign, just signs of vulnerability, then and you, you do something to just care for that child, then that will make all the difference in the world. I think the other, the second part is if you are feeling a little tug at your heart that you want to, you know, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I want to do something. Please reach out to us. We would love to have you volunteer with us and get involved because we're really trying to build a forever community that, that can really reach into all different aspects of supporting these kids' lives for for the rest of their lives.
0: Well, thank you, Cassandra. I appreciate you for sharing your work and your story. I want to support, in the best way I know how to do, which is, which is share your message.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out Tuesdayswithandrea.com. Or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comments section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.